in my series dealing with common questions and controversies of Christianity. In today's podcast, I want to address the doctrine of eternal security. When it comes to this important doctrine, there are two kinds of deception that we need to be aware of. First of all, there are those who are truly saved, but they've been taught that eternal life can be lost. Secondly, there are those who claim to be saved, but their lives deny that reality. This would include all those who have experienced false conversion. Let's first address the deception of false conversion. Now, Scripture is full of warnings about the damning power of counterfeit salvation. In Matthew 7, 21 to 23, Jesus put it this way, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and prophesy in your name and to perform many miracles? So at the final judgment, Jesus warns us that many will believe that they've entered the kingdom of heaven. But listen to what he says next. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. His point is that there are many who think they're going to be saved or that they are saved, and they're going to be shocked on that final day when he tells them he never had a relationship with them. John also warns us about the deception in 1 John chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. He says, Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. So again, we're warned not to be deceived about our salvation. John points out that those who live a holy life are righteous, or in other words, they're saved. But on the other hand, those who live a life of sin, of habitual sin, unbroken sin, are not saved, and they're still of the devil. He goes on in verse 9, No one who is born of God practices sin, because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. The idea is that if we have God in our life, then we won't live a life characterized by perpetual sin. Now, listen to his conclusion because it's pretty sobering. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. So the general character of our lives will determine whether we are saved or not saved. If we practice righteousness, that is, we're characterized by a holy life, then John tells us that the seed of Christ has taken root in our life. On the other hand, if we're characterized by habitual sin, then we're still of the devil and we are unsaved. So the point is this, the way we live reveals the reality of our spiritual condition. Now, the other deception is experienced by believers. True believers can be saved and yet they too can be deceived. They can know that Christ is their Savior and experience that reality, and yet because of false teaching, they believe that they can lose their own salvation. Sadly, they lack the confidence that their sins have been truly forgiven and that God's wrath has been removed. And as a result, then, they live in this perpetual state of doubt and insecurity. After all, how can they know when they've crossed that line back into eternal death? However, Scripture is our final authority. And it tells us with absolute certainty that once we come to faith in Christ, our salvation cannot be lost. So confusion and deception are real. And that's why Paul wrote 2 Corinthians 13, 5, where he says, Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. 
examine yourselves? Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? This passage tells us that we should examine our own lives to see if we meet the biblical standards and the qualities of eternal life. We also have another obligation. Even though we can't be the final judge of others, we should be careful not to falsely assure them that they're saved apart from an untested profession. James tells us in James 2.17, even so faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. In other words, a profession of faith that does not produce fruit is not a genuine faith. So in those cases, it's our obligation to challenge them out of love. So what do the scriptures teach us then about eternal security? Well, one of the most important claims regarding eternal life is found in John 5, 24, where Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. This is an important statement because the Bible never makes any claim that a believer can pass out of life back into death. It can't be reversed. John six thirty seven through 40 states this very clearly, that it's not the Father's will that any believer be lost. Listen to verse 37. All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. Whoever the Father gives to his Son to save will be saved, and those he saves cannot fall out of his grace. He goes on to explain in verse 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given to me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. Again, we see here that the Father's will is that Jesus lose none of whom the Father had given him, and those that he's given him, he will raise up in the end at the last resurrection. He goes on to say the same thing in verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. I think it's pretty clear that the only way a believer can lose his salvation is if the Father breaks his promise to his Son. You see, the idea of being lost or losing salvation isn't left up to human will or to human power. It's left up to the sovereign desire of the Father himself. Listen to what Jesus said in John 10, 27 through 29. This is a powerful verse. He says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one can snatch them out of my hand. The words in the Greek, will never perish, are ume, and it's a double negative in the Greek, and it's the strongest negation possible. So we could translate it that it would be impossible for any believer to perish. And he tells us why in verse 29. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. This is an incredibly comforting picture of the believer resting in God's sovereign hands. Think about this. If anyone or anything could cause the loss of salvation, wouldn't that person or that thing be greater than the Father? One more simple little thought on this. How can eternal life be temporary? And if God promises eternal life and then takes it away, then he's not faithful to his promises. And so God would not be faithful. So a lot is at stake when we talk about eternal security, especially God's faithfulness 
One of the most profound scriptures describing God's desire to assure our salvation is found in 1 Samuel chapter 12, verses 20 through 22. Samuel, who was the last judge of Israel, had to rebuke God's people by saying, Do not fear, even though you have committed all this evil. Now, after calling them to repentance, he reassured them with these comforting words. For the Lord will not abandon his people. Why? Why does God promise that even though we've continued in sin, that he will not abandon us? Well, he goes on to say, on account of his great name, because the Lord has been pleased to make you a people for himself. So you see, we don't keep our own salvation because of what we do. We keep it because it rests in the hands of God and his glory. Also, in his high priestly prayer, Jesus prayed for the Father's protection for those who are saved. He first prayed for his disciples in John 17, 11. He says, I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one as we are. So Jesus prayed for his disciples that the Father would keep them in his name. Now, was that answered? Of course it was. The disciples never lost their salvation. So what about us? Well, he extends that same prayer to include us in verse 20. He says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, that would be the disciples, but for those also who believe in me through their word. So just like the disciples were kept in the Father's name, so we are kept in his name. Since our Savior always prayed in perfect harmony with the will of the Father, we can be assured that his prayer was answered on our behalf. That means that we are kept in his name. So we are eternally secure because that's the Father's will. We are also secure because of our Lord's prayers. And lastly, we can know that we're secure because of the work of the Holy Spirit mentioned in Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. It reads, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him, that is, sealed in Christ, with the Holy Spirit of promise. He goes on to say in verse 14, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his own glory. So Paul tells us that upon belief in Christ, we are sealed in Christ. And that sealing comes by way of the Holy Spirit, whom Paul calls the Holy Spirit of promise. That sealing then is a pledge or a down payment of our inheritance. And why is that? Because God is going to redeem us. Why? Because we are his own possession. And that will be to the praise of his glory. Ephesians 4.30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So see, it's impossible for us to lose our salvation, not because of our own failures or our own successes, but because God has promised to keep us. And that's not ultimately for our own benefit, but for the praise of his own glory. The most powerful argument for eternal security is found in Romans 8, 38 through 39. This is what Paul says. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I've heard Christians say, but we can choose to walk away by our own will. So the question is, is that true? Well, not according to this verse, because Paul tells us that not anything in creation can separate us from God. Well, we are his creation, 
and so is our will. So by the Father's will to keep us, the Son's prayers to keep us in the Father's name, and the Spirit's work of sealing, we are absolutely secure in our salvation. This is not presumption, but it's confidence in a sovereign, loving God who keeps his promises for his own glory and for the promises that he's made to his Son. Well, that concludes this podcast, So, and I hope it's been helpful for you. In my next podcast, we're going to be considering the qualities that we should be looking for in our life to see if we're truly saved. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Until then, may you learn Christ, love Christ, and live for the glory of Christ. Christ.